I am so honored to be here with you all uh, this morning. I'm especially grateful to Daniel and Tim for allowing me to come this weekend <clears throat> and share some thoughts with the men. Uh, I'm also grateful for the partnership that we have with you all in the gospel. I do bring greetings from Christ United Fellowship. I bring thanks from my family to yours. And I want you all to understand that your partnership, your prayers, and friendship have meant a lot to us uh, as we are uh, not far behind you all in our journey of planting a church. And uh, there are a lot of things that go into that. And it's always encouraging to know that uh, you're part of a story that is bigger than yours. So uh, Christ Central, you definitely have our prayers and our love as well. Uh, I want to... Uh, I want to uh, wrestle with some things this morning from John chapter 5, verse, uh, verses 1 through 18. You'll see that we'll wrestle with the theme of the compassionate healer this morning. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 18, as you turn there or read in your bulletins. On one other thought, if, if y'all don't mind, could, could I borrow some of y'all worship team? Because man, hallelujah, my word. Okay, my goodness. I had to go back and tell CUF, hey, Christ Central doing something up there. <laughs> All right. Okay, John chapter 5, verse 1 through 18. Uh, here are the words of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In, this, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up and while I am going another steps before me, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And as there was a crowd in the place, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, it was not long ago when I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine who does some work in uh, what we would consider distress context, 
uh, communities of need, communities that are under-resourced, communities that have been overlooked uh, through systemic injustice, you name it. Uh, he's doing a wonderful work in uh, many of these communities in our city. And he said when he was walking outside one day, he saw a group of individuals, a group of young kids, ridiculing this man who had suffered from a physical defect to his hand due to a stroke. And the man was telling the kids that you all should not be torturing these animals. Uh, the kids were engaged in some malicious behavior, and they continued with their rants and uh, ridicule of the man. And after the episode had ceased, this man came up to my friend and engaged him. And my friend said to me, you know, Michael, I really did not feel like talking to this man at that point. Uh, and he's, as he said this, uh, tears was rolling down his eyes. He said, I just didn't feel like being bothered that day. And tears continued to roll down his eyes. And the man said to him, you know, I can see God in you. Now, I don't know why the man said that to him. Perhaps it's because my friend took some time to talk to him after this traumatic episode. Perhaps it's because uh, my friend treated this man kindly, whereas his experience in life is one that he's marginalized, he's ostracized, he's turned into a pariah, he's ridiculed. Whatever the case may be, uh, my friend said the man continued on, and at the end of the conversation, he realized how much uh, the wealth of knowledge this man had about the Bible. And my friend said to me, you know, I struggle too. And I would hazard a guess that many of us in here, either now or throughout the course of our life, at some point in our life, have treated people less than satisfactory uh, who could be recipients of our compassion because we feel inconvenienced by them. I, I would venture a guess that we all have experienced that at some point in our life where there are people in our presence uh, that could be the beneficiaries of compassion, but we abstain out of feeling a sense of inconvenience by them. Well, this morning, Jesus encourages us. Jesus challenges us. Jesus confronts us. He afflicts those of us who are comfortable by reminding us in our passage this morning that because Jesus Christ extended the ultimate, the ultimate form of compassion, uh, compassion to us by saving us, that we should extend the compassion of Christ to others. Because the greatest form of compassion has been extended to us by Jesus Christ in saving us, we should extend the compassion of Christ to others. And I want to entertain three uh, thoughts from our text this morning. Uh, they are the broken recipients of compassion, Christ the source of compassion, and then lastly the opposition to compassion. That's the broken recipients of compassion, Christ the source of compassion, and then opposition to compassion. We'll see here the broken recipients of compassion, our first point. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. After this, Jesus had just uh, engage in a healing back in Cana where he had first turned water into wine. There was an official's son who uh, took ill and Jesus healed the man. And as he's continuing on his journey, he gets to Jerusalem. And John tells us that it was one of the feasts there in Jerusalem. And uh, there was some sort of, uh, uh, maybe there was some sort of big event going on. People were excited. There were crowds gathered. There was a bunch of much to do going around in the city of God where the temple was located. 
And we find this man there in our text when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem near the uh, pool of Bethesda. And that's where people went to, to get healing that were suffering from all sort of debilitative issues. We see here in the text that around the pool there were people who were lame, people who were crippled, people who were paralytic, all sorts of people that we would consider uh, outcasts came here to receive their healing. And what a tragic episode when Jesus arrives here to this pool. We find this man who's been uh, paralyzed, who's been crippled, who's been an invalid for 38 years. So this man was engaged in a period of long suffering. I don't know how old he is, but for 38 years, this man has been struggling with some issues in his life. And Jesus goes up to this man and says to him, after he sees him lying there, do you want to be healed? Now I want you all to take notice of something. Jesus sees this man. Jesus sees this man lying there. He knows the man had been there a long time. And then the text says that he knew the man's situation. Uh, we're not entirely sure how it is that Jesus uh, knew the man's situation. Perhaps it's because he's God and he knows all things. Perhaps somebody came up to him by ordinary measure and said, Jesus, this man uh, has been lying here. He's got a great issue going on. Uh, perhaps the father communicated something to Jesus. Uh, that was part of his mission to seek and save the lost, uh, to heal those who were uh, suffering from all sorts of affirmities. Jesus said to the man, do you want to be healed? Look at this response. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps over me. So it's not enough that this man has been suffering for 38 years, but every time he attempts to get into this pool to get a healing, somebody steps over him. Somebody looks past this man. Somebody ignores this man in his helpless estate. But we see that Jesus takes notice of people in their helpless estate. I ask you the question this morning, who are the recipients? Uh, who are the broken recipients of compassion? Who are the people that are the recipients of broken, re uh, uh, broken recipients of compassion? It's everyone. It's all those who have deep need. It's all those who are addicts. It's all those who are suffering from all sorts of issues, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's sexual brokenness. Everyone is a broken recipient of compassion that calls on the name of Jesus. Who are the subjects? Who are the, who's the potential mission field? Everyone. Anybody can be a broken recipient. That's what we have to see here in this text. You, you may not be a person who is struggling with something physically, a, a, uh, a visibly demonstrative situation. Yours may not be one where people can see that something is wrong with you, but internally we all are broken without Jesus Christ. We all need Jesus Christ. This external condition of this man points to the internal need that we all have for Jesus to rescue us in our helpless estate. So we need not think that we're better off than this man who struggled for 38 years to get into the pool. Perhaps you might be the person who does overlook people. 
Perhaps you might be the person that sees someone in need of compassion and you turn a blind eye. At our church, we confess to the Lord on a regular basis that oftentimes our heart becomes callous to uh, the needs of those in our presence and the needs of those around the world. Are you that person in the text that bypasses people, walks over people, marginalizes people? Are you that person in the text that is a recipient of marginalization? Are you one that feels ignored? Are you the one that feels pushed to the side? Oh, how Jesus teaches us how we should approach people. When we see people in need, Jesus teaches us that we should see their situation. Jesus teaches us that we should take note of their plight. Jesus teaches us that we should come to them in compassion, not in a paternalistic sense that I have all the answers to remedy all your problems and I have no needs. That's not the posture that we're to take. We're to see ourselves as that man who was broken and in need of Jesus to come rescue us. And we, in turn, extend that same compassion to other people. I was sitting down at a gathering with a group of very industrious people, self-reliant. They have done well for themselves financially. They're prosperous. They're leaders in our city. And we went out to sit on the dock one night on the lake, and a couple uh, gentlemen uh, stole away, and we started to talk. And one of the men said to me, you know, I used to be real hard on people who were needy. I used to be real hard on people who needed a simple hand up in their tough situation. But when I lost my job and I understood how difficult it is, how soul crushing it is to be unable to provide for your family, how humbling it is when you need to rely on others to help you, it changed me. This was an industrious man. You see, what God had did for that man was to reveal that he too is a needy individual. So I ask you the question, how do we approach people of need? The starting point has to be that we are ourselves people of great need and Christ addressed our needs. In so doing, we must extend that same compassion that was extended to us as people of great need. Not only do we see here the broken recipients of compassion, we also see Christ, the source of compassion. We see the broken recipients and we see Christ, the source of compassion. In verse 7, <clears throat> it says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. And then we jump down to verse 8 and it says, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. We jump down to verse 13. It says, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jump down to verse 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now take note of how Jesus deals with this man. Jesus is aware that this man has a physical need. Jesus is aware that this man ha it has need of relief of, for some, of some sort, okay? 
This man has been an invalid for 38 years. And at once, when Jesus tells this man to get up, he is healed. There is no time lapse in between Jesus' words to this man to get up and this man's healing. What do you think John wants us to see? John wants us to see the power of Jesus Christ. John wants us to see something about Jesus Christ's identity. Immediately when Jesus said, get up and walk, that man was healed. John wants us to see something about Jesus' divine nature. When he spoke, it happened. There was no waste of time. This must be an interesting man. Now, if we keep moving on, not only does Jesus physically heal this man, but Jesus Christ's compassion goes even further. Jesus Christ's compassion goes from the external to a deeper need possessed by this man, and that is his heart. Jesus, Jesus physically heals him. Jesus provides for a tangible need that he has. But Jesus said, now, I want to go even further. How far does your compassion go, beloved? Does it stop at the external, or do you keep on pressing the gospel of compassion even further? Jesus says to the man, if we jump down here, uh, Jesus says to the man, see you are well, sin no more that nothing more may happen to you. And of course, you got some of the opposition, which we'll talk about. They're all upset. If Jesus is uh, making, doing all these things and making these audacious claims about him, the Jesus says, see you are well, sin no more. Notice this man's interaction. This man says that Jesus healed me. This guy is aware that something has happened to him. Sin no more. Now, some people would say, well, pastor, is this man, was this man's condition a result of sin in the first place? No. Or was he an invalid for 38 years because he was in some kind of great sin? No. Those uh, physical conditions and, and uh, suffering doesn't always come as a result of our sin. Sometimes it does as a, as a consequence of our sin, but it doesn't always come as a result of our sin. Sometimes the Lord just wants to reveal something in our suffering. And in this case, the Lord says to this man, sin no more. Why? Because there was a greater need in this man's heart. The tangible need was addressed, but Jesus says, there's a greater need you have, and you need to be reconciled to God. You've been reconciled to God. Sin no more because if you're not reconciled to God, something worse than your physical condition can happen. You can be eternally separated from the Father. So Jesus says, you've been healed now. Be reconciled to God. Sin no more. All right, so let's, let's, let's understand this. This man's, sin was not a, this man's condition was not a result of his sin. Jesus healed the man, and Jesus said, now you have a greater condition. You need to be reconciled to God. And we keep moving down here. Uh, we see that the verse 18, uh, verse 17, excuse me, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. So they're upset because Jesus is continuing to work. It's on the Sabbath. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And uh, he says, my father is working. What is his father doing? His father's engaging in the work of redemption. Jesus was sent to accomplish our redemption. And Jesus said, my father is working, and so am I. And so they're scratching their heads like, this man has some serious problems. He is performing uh, healings on the Sabbath. He is doing things that violates our interpretation of the Sabbath. 
And then he is saying he's calling God his father. Now, Jesus is not calling God his father from the standpoint of I'm an adopted son of God. Uh, Jesus is saying, no, I am one with the father. Uh, my father, the one with whom I am one, the, the first member of the Trinity, I'm wor he's working. And so I'm continuing to work right now. And this really upset them. This really upset them because uh, he made himself uh, that that. Jesus was blaspheming in their, in their eyes. That, he was either subject to capital punishment or he should have been the, the object of salvation. They opted for the, the former. They thought Jesus was sinning, but Jesus was revealing his identity to them. Oh, how tragic it is that they miss it right in their presence. But who do we offer as the true source of compassion? That's what Jesus would have us to think about today. Do we stop with just providing for a person's tangible needs and mark that off the list and say, I've, I've done my due diligence. I'm done. All right, I've helped, I've helped these people. I've done my part. Or do we take our compassion even further and offer Jesus as the true source of compassion? Do we take our does our compassion go far further than just our material giving? Do we care enough to say, I want to minister to your material needs. I want to be, uh, I want to minister to you when you feel marginalized, when you feel distressed, when you're experiencing uh, oppression or whatever the case may be. Do you say, do you take it to the next step and say, but let me tell you about the one who is the true source of compassion. Let me tell you about the one who can walk with you amidst this uh, experience of marginalization. Let me tell you about the one who offers compassion for your soul. Let me tell you about the one who's the greatest source of compassion. The Bible tells us that salvation is found in no other name than the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, I, wanna, I want you to really wrestle with that question. How far does my compassion go? Do I just see people as a checkbox. I just see them as an opportunity to get this done. I've done my good deed. I don't know what I had to do. I, I care. Yep. Or do you go a little bit further? Do you care enough to extend the same compassion that Christ has showed to you to bring these people to the true source of compassion? That's what Jesus forces us to wrestle with in our text this morning. There's no other name that can address the broken condition of fallen humanity other than Jesus Christ. He's the true source. Not only do we see uh, the broken recipients of compassion and Christ the true source of compassion, but in our text we see another set of characters. We see the opponents. We see the opposition to compassion. I'm going to read this again. Uh, indulge me. Verse 12, they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you are well, sin no more. Jump down to verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. 
Then we jump down again to verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, I want you all to understand something. John wants us to see how fierce the opposition is. These folks just aren't following Jesus around saying, you know, you shouldn't be healing folks on the Sabbath. That's not right. The text here has the idea that these people were continuously persecuting Jesus. It was an ongoing action. They were continuously hostile to Jesus because he was extending compassion to people in their time of need. So they were getting more upset about Jesus's mission, Jesus's compassion. They were getting more upset uh, about his, his acts of mercy uh, than they were celebrating the fact that people were being healed. Now, why is that? Because these folks uh, from the crowd, this was a hostile crowd towards Jesus, had made up their own interpretations of what the Sabbath was. They caricatured the Sabbath. Uh, they would read Jeremiah 17, which uh, tells us that we should abstain from works of commerce and all that and, and marketplace activity on the Sabbath. And they took it to mean that you should not do a thing on the Sabbath so that you can merit salvation. So they took God's word, they came up with their own interpretation of it, and they, they viewed it as a way to gain God's favor. So we don't do these things on the Sabbath. We will accumulate enough points before God, uh, which will end in being saved. So they caricatured the word of God. Now, let me tell you about the tragic irony of these uh, folks here. They were making themselves equal to God because they, they, they had made their interpretation of the law equal to God's word itself. So the very thing uh, for which they were accusing Jesus Christ, they were themselves guilty of. They said that this man cannot be making him, calling him God his father. That's blasphemy. Yet and still, they were creating their own interpretations that were equal to God's word. And they were upset because Jesus Christ was blowing up their system of man-made regulations. God alone is Lord of the conscious and has freed us from the commandments and regulations of man that are contrary or beside his word. And that's what they did. They heaped up all these burdens on the people and they got upset because Jesus Christ, the true and living God, came and said, I could care less about your man-made regulations. Deeds of mercy are very much appropriate for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the man, not the man for the Sabbath. And so they were filled with anger and hostility. Who does this outsider think he is to come in here and show people mercy on the Sabbath? Who does this outsider think he is coming in telling people that uh, salvation is found in him? Who is this outsider coming in telling people that he is equal to God our Father? Oh, how they missed God right in their presence. They were upset with God for doing what only God can do, heal and forgive sins. Only God can declare that a person is forgiven. And they missed it right there in their presence. They missed the point. They were angry at the point, at the fact that Jesus made himself equal to God. They were angry that Jesus Christ's identity was revealed as God, and they missed that God was right there in their presence. What they needed to be doing was repenting, but they were angry with God, blinded by their own sin, 
blinded by their own arrogance, thinking that their own man-made regulations could save them. Here's another tragic irony. They were violating God's law. Leviticus 18 says that we should love our neighbors. And they were obsessing over this man's healing on the Sabbath, that they forgot that they should be celebrating that this man was healed, that their neighbor was blessed, that their neighbor's longtime condition had come, uh, condition with this, uh, um, uh, this, his longtime physical affirmity had been resolved. But they were too hung up on their own system. You know, Jesus won't let us off the hook. Jesus forces us to think through our own hearts as well. Jesus forces us to figure out if we, if our hearts are filled with compassion. Here are a series of things I want us to consider. If you are more concerned with people following your own man-made laws rather than following God's word, you might lack compassion. If you are more concerned with how a person's behavior around you impacts your reputation than you are about the God, the true and living God who can do something about their behavior, you might lack compassion. If you are more concerned about a family member following the family code over the word of God, you might lack compassion. If you are more concerned about a person's political view than a person's Christological view, how they view Christ, you might lack compassion. If, uh, if you are more concerned about how, people, uh, how people's behavior impacts your own perceptions of God's word than God's word changing their behavior, you might lack compassion. If you are of the ilk who says, you know what, they just need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. When as MLK would say, how can a man pull himself up by his own bootstraps when he has no boots in the first place? If you're that person, you might lack compassion. If you're more concerned about your own man-made regulations, if you're more concerned about a person's external uh, behavior than you are about the internal realities, you might lack compassion. If you think that you are God and they need to live according to your way and not according to the true way, you might lack compassion. But the gospel is for you as well. Jesus Christ extends his compassion even to those of us who lack compassion. Maybe you, in that list, you have heard uh, some things that characterize your own heart. Maybe you're saying to yourself, my goodness, those people that stepped over that man describes me. Those people that, uh, uh, those people that walked right past that man when he was trying his best to get to the pool uh, characterizes me. My heart is hard towards those who are in need. It might mean you like compassion, but Jesus says to you this morning that I have died for you as well. Jesus says that my compassion extends not only to the broken, but to those who have never tasted of compassion. This morning, you might be that person 
who feels marginalized. And Jesus says there's a place for you at the table as well. Jesus doesn't discriminate with his compassion. He sends it to those who need compassion. He sends it to the helpless and he sends it to those who are hard hearted as well. Because at the end of the day, we all need compassion. We all are incapable of saving ourselves. That's what this man teaches us. And that only Jesus alone is capable of saving us. We are saved not because of our own industry. We are saved not because we were able to pick ourselves up and dive into the pool. We are saved because Jesus told us to get up and walk. It is by grace that we have been saved. None of us can boast because Jesus did all the work for us. He did everything that we could not do. Perhaps you're a believer this morning. You say, Pastor, I get it. Jesus saved me, but I still have some corners of my heart that need to be softened. I would encourage you this morning to revisit afresh the greatest act of compassion that's been demonstrated to all of us on the cross by Jesus taking the punishment that we deserve, by Jesus Christ coming down and rescuing us in our helpless estate when we could not rescue ourselves. And I say to you this morning, once again, if you are here and your heart is hard, perhaps it could be that you've never experienced the compassion of Jesus Christ. The gospel, hear me, my friend, is for you. If you would but trust Jesus Christ, you can receive the greatest act of compassion that anyone could ever receive, and that is salvation, found in the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy toward us. Oh Lord, we thank you uh, for the mercy that you have displayed to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the compassion that we have experienced in your son, Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would seal this word to our hearts so that we'd be set free to serve you joyfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.